Hey listeners, Lainey here. So if you've been listening to TCFC for a while, you may have heard me talk about my friends at the Fall Line podcast. I've also done some voice work for them in the past. Now, the Fall Line is a deep dive true crime podcast focused on missing people, unsolved homicides, and unidentified persons whose cases have gotten little, if any, media attention. You'll hear about John and Jane Doe cases across the country and unsolved serial homicides like the Atlanta Lover's Lane murders or hearing about the confessions of Samuel Little. They also cover missing persons cases that never made the national news. And if you know me and you've seen me on social media, you know that I believe everybody's story deserves to be told. And that's exactly what the fall line does. You hear from the family members in cases like the unsolved homicides of 12-year-old Georgia Leah Moses from California and single mother and business owner Grace Chen, who was killed in Texas. The fall line digs deep into cases, interviewing experts like forensic anthropologists, genealogists, DNA experts, and investigators closest to the crimes. Through narrative storytelling, primary and archival research, and expert and family interviews, the fall line introduces listeners to victims and survivors they've never heard of and explores the reasons why their cases were ignored in the first place. Look for new releases from The Fall Line on Wednesdays, wherever you listen to podcasts. So right now, I'm going to play you a clip from one of The Fall Line's January episodes. It's actually one of my favorites. It's from their two-episode deep dive into the unsolved murder of Moses Williams, a young father from Aiken, South Carolina, who was murdered on Super Bowl Sunday in 2012. Now, if you find this clip compelling, be sure to check out their recent releases. There's a two-part series out now focusing on the death of an indigenous mother found on a Montana reservation in 1998, the attempts to identify a teenager murdered in Florida in 1986, and interviews with some of true crime's most compelling experts. They truly do such a fantastic job on this podcast. Now, later this summer, they'll feature a two-part interview with activist Sarah Turney, on what needs to change to push forth an ethical true crime revolution and much more. Be sure to subscribe to The Fall Line on your favorite podcast app and leave them a review. Let them know that Lainey sent you. This is part one in a two-part series. This series discusses domestic violence, crime scenes, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. If you're in need of support, please contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or text START to 88788. This is The Fall Line. Aiken is a town in western South Carolina, not far from the Georgia line. It's a short drive from Augusta, where Jeanette and Danette Millbrook disappeared in 1990. They're sister cities that share a local news station, WJBF. Aiken, the city, sits in Aiken County, home to Shaw Creek. It's that region where, since the late 1980s, the remains of four women have been found. Two, still unidentified to this day, 
are known as the 1987 and the 1993 Aiken County Jane Doe's. The others, Jackie Council and Ristine Durden, they were identified years after their deaths. Both identified women who were Georgia residents disappeared in the late 1980s. But it's thought that the other two women might not have been tied to the state. Local officials have speculated that a serial killer may have been operating in the area at the time. If so, there's some evidence that he might have been targeting camps of migrant farm workers as well as more permanent local residents. At one time, the 1993 Aiken County Jane Doe was considered a possible match for one of the Millbrook twins, possibly Jeanette, though she could have been either. The process of checking that possible match was complicated by the passing of the local coroner, Tim Carlton, who'd offered to make the comparison. He did indeed seek out DNA analysis for the 1993 Aiken County Jane Doe, But after his death from brain cancer in 2019, communication to and from the office was understandably slowed. However, in 2020, journalist Renetta DeBose of WJBF was able to confirm with the new Aiken County coroner that the work had been done. The Millbrook twins had been ruled out as a match for the 1993 Jane Doe. And, unfortunately, she remains unidentified. The 1987 Jane Doe, of course, falls outside of the time frame of the twins' case, and she too awaits identification. The Shaw Creek victims are hardly the only cold cases in Aiken County, or in the city itself, its most populous area. Aiken isn't big, not compared to Columbia, South Carolina, or even Augusta, Georgia. It only has about 30,000 residents at last count. But there's been a significant spike in violent crime in Aiken, the city and the county, in the last two years. But that's not unique to Aiken. There's also been a spike across the state. And based on our interview with Thomas Hargrove from the Murder Accountability Project back in 2021, that's not a problem South Carolina has faced on its own. The entire country has grappled with a rise in violence. In fact, Pew Research reported that across the U.S., the murder rate rose 30% between 2019 and 2020. That's the largest single-year increase in more than a century. It's worth noting, though, that even before the recent spike, the one that we've all seen across the country, Aiken had another bad year. That was back in 2012, when there were seven murders. That's a high number for Aiken. According to the City of Aiken's own website, the city faced one homicide in 2008, and that jump from one to seven in such a short time was a cause for concern and action on the part of city leaders. And one of those seven homicides was the murder of Moses Williams Jr. He was just 19 years old in February of 2012. Moses, a young father and recent high school graduate from a large and loving family, was shot on Super Bowl Sunday. He'd been on his way to join his family at a party. he just planned to stop in at his girlfriend's mother's apartment, just for a few minutes. Moses' mother, Tamika, was expecting him to pull up in the car that he'd bought with his own money at their family party to join his sister Vanessa and Tamika's husband, Benny, the stepfather who'd raised Moses and Vanessa since they were small, to join cousins, uncles, and aunts, They were all expecting Moses, nicknamed Fat Man as a chubby baby, to turn up with a smile, the first great-grandchild of the family. 
beloved by everyone. Instead, they heard gunshots echoing in the distance. Tamika was outside smoking a cigarette when she heard the blasts. Moments later, her phone rang. Someone told her, you need to get to Han Village. Fat man's just been shot. Tamika couldn't wait for her daughter, Vanessa, to find the car keys. She broke into a run. We first heard Moses Williams Jr.'s story when our friend and colleague, Renetta DeBose, covered his murder on WJBF's Cold Case Project. With the 10th anniversary of his death coming up this February and his case gone cold, his family worries that each passing month lessens the chance that the person or people responsible for his murder will ever be caught. According to Cold Case Project, Moses was shot while he was sitting in the driver's seat of his car outside an apartment at the Han Village Complex in Aiken. He'd come to Han to drop off his girlfriend at her mother's house. They'd been at another family party, and he'd planned to head over to the second to join his mother. But, according to Cold Case Project's interview with the Aiken Department of Public Safety, Moses wouldn't make it out of the parking lot. Moses' girlfriend and her sister told police that they heard gunshots as the girlfriend entered their mother's apartment. Both then ran outside and, quote, found Moses Williams sitting slumped over in his car and what appeared to be a gunshot wound to his head. Nearby neighbors there heard the gunshot too, but they also heard someone run by their bedroom window, hop inside a vehicle, and leave the area in a hurry. Rather than wait for an ambulance, Moses' girlfriend told investigators that she managed to move him to the passenger seat so that she could drive him to the hospital herself in his car. Tamika, Moses' mother, saw that car driving away as she arrived, looking for her son. Even in the chaos of that night, there was one question that was immediate for everyone. Why Fat Man? If it had been an attempted carjacking, it had failed. And if for revenge, for what? Moses had never been in any trouble. He'd been a talented football player and planned on joining the military. He had no criminal record, Aiken Public Safety noted this in an interview, and he worked seven days a week. In fact, his mother had to talk him into taking time off just to enjoy the Super Bowl. So why was Moses Williams Jr. one of the seven murder victims of 2012? It's a question his family has been determined to answer for the past nine years. And now, as they close in on the 10th, they feel that all the information is readily available known to enough people in Aiken to make a case. It's just a matter of those who have that information being willing to speak it.